from whom all blessings come. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's because his blessings came by this morning. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, he's in the house. Uh -huh. yes. He's in the house. They were able to lift us up, cause us to stand, and say, Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to try to be what you would have us to be. Pastor, my buddy. My good and trusted friend. Amen. Good to be in the house where the Lord has placed you. And have the opportunity to say again, God bless your work. Because you are here on God's time and God is feeding you and you are feeding the people what God gives you to give them. And God is pleased. He pleased. Because it is his will that none should perish. And uh, he has anointed you. To lead these, his children, from this place to his place, wherever his place is. And I say that sincerely 
because there are not a large number of preachers today who are willing to make the trip. They'll take the ticket but they're not willing to make the trip. You can't make the trip without the ticket. And you can't have the ticket unless you believe it is able to take you where it says it's going. There is a power that sets you free. And that is the freeing power of faith. And in the text I want to kind of touch on today, it says this. In the modern translation of Matthew 9, 29, He touched their eyes and said, Become what you believe. It happened. They said, God bless you. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to deal with faith at the trust level. Because we live in a time when there is so much demonic misrepresentation of things divine. 
We are tempted even unconsciously to limit the possibilities in faith. Not realizing that we are limiting the possibilities in God. Just a cursory viewing of the Gospels will reveal to us that Jesus conceived of faith as being essentially trust in God. God is Father and as such is lovingly present to heal and help believing mankind in his need and sin. Jesus wants us to understand even in this scientifically sophisticated age that God's fatherly presence is nearer than people conceive. Therefore, miracles do yet occur if we believe in miracles. Let me hasten to assure you that the miraculous power of God is not cut short. But he does not want us to use his miracles as a means of attracting attention to ourselves or as experiences of religious superiority to others. If there is a problem with no more miracles being manifested among us, the problem is with mankind. You see, the opposite of faith is worry. And worry is typical of mankind. Animals and plants and creation simply rely 
on divine providence. But men are of little faith, wary of trusting God. If again we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus seems to become irritated when little faith shows up in his followers. In the storm at sea, he doesn't rebuke his disciples for cowardice, but for losing faith. Forgetting that God is near and his providence is real. Losing faith is a hindrance to the workings of God's power. Jesus says this in the strong implications of this Matthean passage. He touched their eyes and said become what you believe it happened they saw this story is peculiar to Matthew and it is not found in other Gospels. Two blind men followed Jesus as he left the house, crying out, Mercy, Son of David, Mercy on us. Now, the title they give Jesus is important because in this passage, it is an expression of the blind men's understanding of who Jesus is. Their physical blindness sharpened their spiritual perception. Though their understanding of it was perhaps inadequate, 
It was clear enough to them that the son of David, or Messiah, was the highest designation of one sent from God. And they respected Jesus as being anointed of God. What they knew, they expressed. The faith can have little freeing power except we can say I know whom I believe. Our understanding of Christ may be limited in many ways. We may not be able to express with the language what the heart believes, but we have to know deep down within us whom we believe, not what, but whom a personality, an understanding personality. One who knows all about us. A tested personality. One who has been tried. A victorious personality. Who has already won his victories. A personality unlimited in power, a personality compassionable and caring, a personality trustworthy and gracious, a personality sacrificial in love, not just the son of David, not just the son of man, but the dying, rising son of God. I know who I believe. We can therefore cry out in faith, Jesus, son of of God have mercy on us. Ah, but there's a little word here that is weighty in freeing power. And that little word is us. In this 
story of the passage, there are two men, both blind, both seeking sight, both needing attention. Each one could have cried even at the same time. Have mercy on me. But the me is lost in the fellowship of need. And if we understand fellowship and let down our fences, we will understand that we all have needs of some kind. We are not the only one suffering. We're not the only one with a need. So when we cry out to Jesus, we ought to say, have mercy on us, all of us, desiring your touch, all of us. Hindered by life's circumstances. Unselfish faith has freeing power. God has enough power to go around and miss no one. Lord, have mercy on others who stand in need of you. Then, after you have passed by them, then let some drops fall on even me. Now, if you're reading this passage, you will note that Jesus suddenly becomes silent. The passage says, they followed him, crying out, even into the house. They were persistent 
in their faith. It seemed as though Jesus was not going to stop walking. But they followed him. I'm questioning classes sometimes as to what bearing persistency has on faith. If we keep on asking, doesn't that signify that faith is weak? Does it signify weak faith if waiting on God seems difficult to do? Well, waiting on God doesn't mean that we can't mention the need we have lifted up to hear. Mentioning doesn't mean faith is weak. Jesus shows us in this passage that persistency counts in getting an answer. Jesus' delaying is a test of our wills. Do you really want what you are asking? Are your priorities right? Is God first? When they enter the house in this passage, Jesus turns to the men and asks, do you really believe I can do this? Look hard. At the question, Jesus does not ask them, do you believe I will do this thing? The question is, do you believe I can? 
Do you believe I am able? Do you believe you have the power Do you believe that I will right now, this minute? Well, all Jesus asks of us is to believe he can. Then take the risk that he will. And we can't switch the order on this. We cannot believe he will before we believe he can. Our faith has to take on the attitude of the three Hebrew worthies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were about to be thrown in the furnace in Babylon, they said, King, go ahead. Heat your furnace. Seven times harder than usual. Go ahead. And throw us in. Our God is able. He can deliver us. asking for proof. 
of his being. The blind men had no reservations. Oh, in answering the question, they say, yes, Lord, not yes, son of David, but yes, Lord. To say Lord meant you ex exercise authority over us. To say Lord meant you have our respect. To say Lord meant we abase ourselves in your presence. We are at your feet positionally to learn, to request, to receive. Faith has no freeing power when we seek to talk to God on equal basis. I have a problem with the definition of prayer which advocates that we talk with God like talking with another person. That might be right if we mean you don't have to use specified language but we press it too hard if we go beyond recognizing that Jesus said when you pray Say, hallowed be thy name, Hagiazzo, sanctified, set apart, supremely special is thy name. Don't get too familiar with him. Recognize to whom we are speaking. He is the Lord. Or oh, say that with me. He is the Lord. Then Jesus touched their eyes. There was no word, no spittle, no clay, 
just the announcement. According to your faith, that called me son of David. According to your faith, that kept you persisting when I did not answer. According to your faith, that kept you persisting when I did not answer. According to your faith that kept you following when I did not stop. According to your faith that I am able to do what you ask. According to your faith faith that calls me Lord, let it be to you. Jesus, let their eyes open as the evidence of their faith, which had freeing power. This story is apropos because many of us have unmet needs due to our blindness. Inner blindness. Spiritual blindness is far more pitiable than physical blindness. We are blind to the meaning of life so our faith has no freeing power with God. We forget that life is sacred. It comes out of God into us. God is its creator. God is its sustainer. God wills that we live it abundantly. We are blind when we take it as our own. We are blind when we abuse it and have no reverence for it. We need that blindness healed. Son of God, have mercy on us. Most of all, we are blind to the source of faith. We think we can work it up. We think we can resolve the habit. But faith is set in us by God as a gift. And he quickens it. He brings it to life. 
if we will receive the quickening, God enlivens and renews our faith when we make his power our highest trust. But we lose out today because we choose to believe our doubts over against our faith. Son of God, have mercy on us. When the disciples stood amazed at how quickly the words of Jesus caused the fig tree to dry up. He said to them, if you have faith and doubt not, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, don't let your doubt get mixed up with your faith. Believe so deeply in the compelling power of faith that when you ask, thank God right then for the blessing. If he seems to delay, keep expecting, keep thanking, don't lose your faith. May I have another minute? There, there, there is a strange thing that Jesus does here. Even as evidence of their faith, the men received their sight. Jesus warned them not to spread the news of what happened to them. Jesus had his reasons for doing this among, because among them was people who did not follow 
Jesus. And Jesus had his reasons for not allowing some folk to call his name. He didn't want further public recognition to more arouse the malice of the Pharisees before his hour had come. But obedience to that warning was difficult for the men who had been healed. They went out and immediately babbled the news about Jesus in all that country. Oh, they, they cover some ground. I can't down the admit. Because one of our problems in experiencing the miraculous power of God when we need to is we are too private with our blessings. We need to spread the news about the blessing one. We need to take the Lord and talk about I and me and out of our witness replace the I and the me with him. His power to save. His power to heal. His power to keep. We need to tell the world that faith in Jesus pays all. We need to tell them that he brought me out of the mire and clay. He stood me on the rock to stay. We need to tell the world about his concern for our circumstances. God is concerned about what you are thinking about. He is concerned about what worries you. He is concerned about the circumstances 
in which you move from day to day. And he wants to try to get you to understand that he is ready for you to try him every day in every way and said, Lord, I need, Lord, I hear. What I hear is about showers of blessing that thou art scattering full and free. I hear about showers, the thirsty soul refreshing. And it makes me cry out, let some drops now fall on me. Even me, Lord. Even me. Let some drops now fall on me. I just want to drop one line and let you take it home with you. The God that I serve, the God that I trust, his ministry is unorthodox. Instead of running from the people, he went to them. His ministry was unorthodox because of his seeming bent toward that which was not generally accepted. This 12th chapter of Matthew, where Jesus is in process of speaking parables to his disciples, sharing his views on what he called the kingdom of God, he slips in this strong, strange word on fire. I come to start a fire on this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything. Turn everything right side up. How I long for it to be finished. What makes this saying strange is that it comes from the mouth of the Son of God. The very one whom Isaiah declared to be the Prince of Peace. And he says to his disciples, I came came. to start 
fire. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now I know what your question is. Why does Jesus, the Prince of Peace, talk this way? Well, we have just qualified that the nature of Jesus' ministry was unorthodox. So in this manner, Jesus is conveying to the disciples that he does not intend that their definition of peace will stand for this. The calm, undisturbed peace cannot be until the way is prepared for it. He could say to his disciples, can't you see that my preaching and teaching have started some small smoldering fires and you don't know how I wish fire was blazing right now. So my word to you is set the church on fire. Set the church on fire. To have this word fire in the text is a word of judgment on the church. Disconnected from its culture. So cold, so far, so unmoving and unbinding that even if angels came to the church on Sunday morning, they could not sing a new song because there's no place for it in the printed order of service. Maybe the fire of judgment is on that order of service. But Jesus says that he came to start a fire. And that means set fire to the religious establishment that calls the shots in spite of Christ. Set fire to the religious hierarchy who sit in judgment on the church and declare they can't make a mistake. They are infallible. Set fire to ecclesiastical hypocriticism that says those who are themselves every day except on Sunday make no mistake about it. Jesus came to set the church on fire. I tell you the church is never the church until it is energized by the breath of God anointed and commissioned by the fire of God. Let it breathe on me. Let it breathe on me. Let the breath of the Lord now breathe on me. Set it on fire.
The church that is set on fire is a church composed of combustible material. Fire doesn't happen in an environment where everything is fireproof. So those people who make up the church must find a way to create a spiritual reaction that causes both heat and light. Heat will move us, make us uncomfortable, and light will show us you which way for us to go. This fire that the power to consume, when it breaks out, it's hard to keep in one place. Our brothers and sisters in the first church found themselves going everywhere telling others about the name of Jesus. It was burning in their souls and they could not help it. The empowered church today needs to be afflicted with the can't help it. Set the church on fire because it has the power to control the uncontrollable. I am sure you have been and seen on television forest fires burning out of control. Some caused by drought, some caused by carelessness, fire leaping through acres, trees, and land bringing threat and harm to human life. Yes, if you've been watching, you have seen a strange thing happen. Yes, Firemen tried to drown the fire from the ground level uh-huh. or try to smother it with chemicals uh-huh. dropped from special planes. Yes, but the reports say the fire is still burning yes. out of control. But here comes the strange thing. Firemen draw a circle around the fire, dig a trench around the circle, then set a fire in the trench so that when fire meets fire, it has brought the fire under control. Jesus said, I came to start a fire, to meet a fire with fire. My church forms the trench around all of the hell fire raging on the earth. And when the fire I set in church meets that fire, the uncontrollable will be controlled. 
I will consume the useless. I will burn up the dross. Send the gold running out. Just keep turning up the heat. We don't need foxfire. Like Elijah saw leaping across the field, burning nothing. He said God was not in that fire. We need the fire of God. Grace sent Holy Spirit fueled. It makes you feel like the fire is shut up in your bones. But fighting fire to get out, open your mouth, let it out. Burn up the truth, heat up the cold, and attract the freezing. Set the church on fire. Praise God for fire. Let it burn. Somebody need to say fire. Fire. Do you understand what he said? He said that the fire that is happening, the only way to put it out is that the fire of the church meet the fire of the world and it will bring the world under control because the fire of the church is meant to control the world. I think he's right. I told you he's like a prophet. What needs to happen is the church needs to be set on fire. Not just the church, the individuals in the church needs to be set on fire. So say with me, say, Lord, set me on fire. Right now, Lord, set me on fire. Now give God some praise. 